0: Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Tony Rose Deannon, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self paced, and mastery based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast.
1: Welcome to the 50th. That's right. 5-0 50th episode of the Modern woo. Classrooms Project podcast. Yes. Woo. We started this podcast about one year ago. So our deepest thanks to you, the listener for tuning in each week. We appreciate you. Um, I'm Kate Gaskell, Modern Classroom Mentor, and I am back in my natural habitat. Um, I am a proud Washington, D.C. public schools instructional coach and teacher. Um, I have returned to school-based work, and wow, (laughs) wow, teachers, if you are anything like me, um, we have a lot of feelings and questions right now as we prepare to You know, welcome our students back into the school building. Some of them who will be stepping inside school for the first time in nearly a year and a half. So it's a lot. So some of us have only taught with the modern classroom uh, instructional model virtually. And, you know, some of us who are listening, we might feel that our in-person teaching skills are a little rusty right now. Um, some of us are really excited to go back while others feel very anxious. And, of course, all of this is happening as we face more questions about how the Delta variant could impact our school year. So there's a lot to unpack. Um in episode 50 today so here with me today to talk about these questions and this pivot back to in-person instruction um, is modern classroom mentor and middle and high school science teacher demi lager Uh, demi and i recently presented at the distance learning and teaching conference through the university of wisconsin and we wanted to continue our uh, the conversation we were having about the versatility of this instructional model in in in-person in hybrid in fully remote and kind of talk about just um, the transitions we're making as we go back into the building um, and over the next few weeks. So Demi, you've been on the podcast before. Welcome back.
2: Yes, thank you. Hi, Kate. I am so excited to be back and kind of start unpacking all this stuff because, yeah, this is my third year with implementing modern classrooms into my classroom. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I've been lucky to kind of go through Modern classrooms in person, modern classrooms completely virtual, and a hybrid version of modern classrooms. So I'm excited to talk about that today.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad I thought you had such a unique perspective. So I really, I really wanted to bring you on for this episode. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your career in education?
2: Yes, of course. Um so I used to teach in Washington, DC. Um, where I I taught middle and high school science Um, I started with high school moved to completely to middle school and then um, I moved all the way across the country during the pandemic which was so fun um, to California so I am now teaching in Santa Barbara California and I am teaching both middle and high school science so taught science my whole teaching career and like I said it's um, I've been utilizing the modern classrooms instruction model for the past three years
1: Yeah, you've, you've kind of, you've done it all, you know, in in these, um, you know, you not only have done middle and high school, but you've, um, you have really seen the three styles that we have seen educators, um, you know, teach in over the last, over the last year and a half. Um, So with that unique perspective of modern classrooms in person, before COVID-19 began, um, completely virtual and hybrid. So can you talk a little bit about your school itself. Um, just to kind of give our listeners uh, some context about the operation of your school, I, from what I understand, your students experience some of their classes uh, hybrid, and that was before the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, this is the way your school operates. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about how that works and I guess kind of what your what the reasoning for that is?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, So I am at a public charter school here in Santa Barbara, and they have specific classes, which at my school is science, ELA, and history, which gives uh, students have the opportunity they can take it in person or online. I'm the in-person science teacher this year. Um, That was originally my role, too. um, But, of course, you know, there was COVID, so we were actually virtually virtually teaching then as well. And then they can take – they have options to take math or predominantly math foreign languages, and then electives, not all electives, but think of like driver's ed essentially for our high schoolers is taught online. So even pre pandemic, they were, you know, let's say they go to math Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that is online. Or parents can of course choose to also order a curriculum, like a math curriculum from the school and parents can choose to homeschool them. So they can run it that way. But we have um, teachers who are just fully um, distance learning teachers. So like I, I always refer back to math because it's like always math. <laughs> but they could take, you know, so it's the same process. They log into Canvas. They've always been virtual. So the reasoning behind it is just really meeting students where they are. Um, and just, you know, you could be taking calculus, but be in, you know, science one in person or whatever the whatever the case may be, um, depending on where you are. So just meeting students' individual needs. Um, was kind of the driving force behind this, the model of this charter school. So I've been, this is only my second year here, so I'm still definitely learning. (laughs) I learn a new thing every day at this school. Um, But so far, yeah, it's been really interesting. And it's just so, I mean, so crazy for me, uh, you know, teaching five days a week to teaching only in person. I only teach a person two times a week.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay. So you, can you talk a little bit about that? So kind of your in-person you're in person two days a week, yes, and you are um, and you're teaching virtually three days a week.
2: So those actually no. So last year, yes, when we moved to hybrid, I was teaching on those other days. But this year, since I'm just the in person teacher now, let me remind everyone before it sounds like all glory. <laughs> she only teaches two days a week as a full time teacher. I teach grade six through twelve. Okay, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday are a lot of my prep days. Right, making. I have all of those grades to conquer for science. So I'm doing a lot of that and working with what what they call a, kind of my roster. So I have a set of high schoolers, you know, making sure they're on track to graduate. Oh, how are they doing in that online driver's ed class that like I have no idea about. So, you know, taking the time during Monday, on Monday, Wednesday and Friday to, you know, check in on them, have meetings and mostly prep for grades six through twelve.
1: Okay. So this is a really interesting, um, interesting setup that you have. Yeah. And I, I, to be honest, I haven't talked with uh, another teacher and I've talked to a lot of teachers um, and I haven't <laughs> talked to someone who has a schedule like this. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what are you most looking forward to just about being back in your building, teaching in person, seeing all of your kids in person?
2: Oh my goodness. Uh, I feel like there are, there are so many things. First of all, just going back in person and seeing my students face-to-face. Uh, it was hard for me last year being at a new school and being online for majority of the year. Um, that took a lot of, you know, it was challenging for me to make sure I was building those relationships via a computer. Um, so I'm really excited to work on those relationships and just to be with my kids in person, but also personally, I need it. Like I, I need to get out of my house and have somewhere to go. <laughs> And like take more than a hundred steps in one day. Like it's very healthy for me. I used to think like, I love to work from home. This looks so nice, but I've learned it's not for me.
1: I know. I used to joke that, <laughs> you know, cause I would have friends who weren't teachers who could, you know, work from home. And I yeah. used to joke like, Oh, you know, like when can we get like teacher holograms? Like when will we perfect that yes. technology <laughs> where I can just be a hologram and I can like, I don't know, like stay home and grade every Friday or something. And then I, I I'm right there with you. I, I, I need the energy of a school building. I need that. I need that movement. Um, uh, you know, so, so as you're, so you were hybrid last year, you said, so you did get to go in, um, you know, towards the end of the year, is that correct?
2: Yeah. So I went back in April. Okay. And so I think I had about 10 classes because again, this was only two days a week. So I did 10 classes, um, in person and then also taught online in the mornings. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. That for me was the most difficult, like, to do both. Shout out to all the teachers who have been doing both for, like, a year and a half at this point now. Like, shout out to you because that is very challenging to switch. I would go through my morning, you know, virtual teaching uh, classes and then get to school to teach in person. I was like, it's not 7 p.m. Yeah, It's 11 (laughs) in the morning.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. The You know, hybrid teaching really really felt like, like two jobs. Um, can I, can I pick your brain a little bit about, um, about this? So, you know, so you taught some of your students, you taught them fully remotely and some of your students, you taught them in, you taught them fully in person last year, right? Yes. So like, as you were, as you were planning, let's say, as you were thinking about just, you know, teaching best practices, let's start with like collaboration. What did collaboration look like for you? uh, when you were in a socially distanced classroom, you know, where students were wearing masks because some of us are going back into the building for the first time. And, uh, we did, we know we didn't do hybrid last year and we're kind of thinking like, Oh, I I remember people talking about this, but what, what did they actually, what did they do? How did they, you know, how did they have kids work together uh, when the desks had to be a certain ways apart or the kids were wearing masks? What did, what did you do on those in-person days when you were hybrid last year?
2: Yeah, this is a, this is a difficult question because I feel like my answer is never like completely concrete because everything's changing every day. (laughs) So, but I did, you know, find some things last year for sure that I was like, okay, we're making this work. So, um, a few things was like as simple as like playing games, even with my high schoolers, like you can think of a simple kahoot or charades, right? We're all working towards one goal it was fun. It's not, you know, nothing too high stakes is happening, but we were all working towards one goal, shouting across the room with our masks at some times, all of that going on. Um, another thing I did was, if, if it's possible for you, and this all depends on your school and administration, all kinds of things. But sometimes if I could, which is only like once, maybe twice, go to a larger section of the school. So the gym or outside even, we still have those same measures in place, but we've changed up the scenery and maybe, you know, we're working on our computers on a shared dock outside, which is also of course a tech tool of collaboration, right? I really fostered a lot of those like easy, if they could be shared, we're all going to share and work on it together. Yes. One thing I did actually, I had to have my high schoolers, um, kind of make this poster board, but we want to do it in groups. I physically cut them in half. We worked on them at our at our socially distanced tables. We presented them cut in half and then I taped them together.
1: <laughs> I really like that.
2: It was really fun to see them like, there's a lot that has to go, you know, a lot of planning that has to go into that. Like, wait, where are you drawing your lines yeah. from a distance? And be like, that looks like it might. It might, you know, line up correctly. So that, yeah. (laughs) So we did do that. That was, you know, fun and definitely it took a lot of, you know, collaboration in minor ways because, like I said, the planning for that one is a little extreme, but it was fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I'm a teacher where I kind of struggle to let go of some of those tactile elements. I, you know, unlike, Unlike a lot of my modern classrooms colleagues, I, I'm i still going to prefer, you know, a text printed off. I think kids, yeah. especially struggling readers, they can annotate that easier. I'm still going to want paper mastery checks. I, you know, I love manipulatives. I, I some of those things, like I, I, as I wrap my head around how I'm going to go back into classrooms and, you know keep everyone safe. I have a lot to think about too, but I love that idea of, you know, we're still going to do the group project. We're literally just splitting the poster in half. Yeah.
2: You each get one piece. There's four of us. We're going to put these together at the end. It was, you know, it was abstract. We had an artistic spin on it all.
1: I really, I really like that. And then, so you also taught, um, distance learning, you know, you had students where you only Ever met them virtually? Can you talk a little bit about now? And the reason I ask, of course, is because you know I think that as the Delta variant hangs over us, I think it's kind of it's interesting because the teachers I've gotten to hang out with a little bit, we kind of it's like a it's almost like a whisper, like yeah, <laughs> you know, is this is this going to happen again? Um, uh, yeah. will we will we need to shift to remote instruction again? So I, I guess I ask some of these questions um, just to keep those. You know virtual teaching muscles sharp um, what did you do to foster collaboration in your distance learning classroom?
2: Yeah, distance learning um I'm the same as you. I always want those paper things and like paper mastery checks, and I feel like, oh, but if I can sit down, you know be close to them with their paper mastery check and do the reteach, it's so much more effective. so this was challenging for me as I was as I think it was for you know a lot of people. Um, I did a lot of like beginning zoom sessions of like, let's talk about our needs physically and mentally. You know, a lot of that, you know, as a as a modern classrooms um, mentor, a common question I get is, okay, you know, um, they want us to teach virtually now, but I feel like I'm not with my students. If I just like let them go, you know, into their groups, like I'm not really doing anything right. And I can agree with that. It kind of feels like when you're teaching virtually, all of a sudden, if you, you know, just break kids off into groups, you're like not, there. So I just my advice is like you know, trust yourself. Do what you normally would have, would do. Start class, maybe you have a warm up together, maybe you're talking about common misconceptions, maybe you're having a discussion about something going on in life, and then display your tracker or whatever you use to so students know where they are and you know, put them in breakout rooms, do something, you know, shift in between breakout rooms, etc. So that's kind of how how we did that. I always use the tracker or um in my class, we called it the grouper, mm-hmm. not the fish. I don't, it's not the grouper fish, yeah. but we called it the grouper. Yeah. And, you know, take a look at that. You're, you know, allow students to get comfortable with moving in and out of breakout rooms. And then I always had like a break breakout room or a question breakout room. So hop in there if you just need a break or hop in there if you got questions, because I have, you know, so-and-so's leading the question breakout room and can be in there to the answer as needed.
1: Yeah. And I. I think that's really interesting—the fact that you call it—you call your your public progress tracker the Grouper because I've I've seen yours and it it is one that skews towards it emphasizes collaboration. Um, can you can you explain a little bit how it's set up and we'll be sure to include it in the show notes? Um, so as you explained, I'm curious: Do you have the same one for both distance learning and in-person learning?
2: So I actually have two, but this just developed over, like each class of mine has two, but this just developed over time. So for distance learning, they just see, um, it's a simple PowerPoint slide, says what each student is on, you know, wherever you are, whatever task you're on, it has your name or nickname, whatever the kids are using. Um, It has the colors, yellow, revise. Um, So that's displayed. I just display that virtually. Um, And then they also have one on their learning management system. We use Canvas, which I call the official tracker, (laughs) uh, which is just, it's a Google Sheets and it just says mastered. It's essentially the same thing. It just has a little bit more for me as a teacher. I can you know, hide and unhide grades so I can easily transfer grades. Uh, It's the one that goes out to parents, all all of those things. So in the, and in the in-person classroom, the same thing happens. I have the one that displays and then I have my official one on their learning management system. The only difference is in person, they move themselves. I just display it onto the whiteboard and they use an expo marker and like cross out their name and move it over.
1: Oh, I, I really, really like that. You know, we get a lot of questions about like, what are my options for doing a physical tracker? Because I think the kids, the kids do kind of feel a sense of accomplishment when they get to get up and physically move something um be it a clothespin be it a magnet you know whatever but i really like this like you've you've combined them it wasn't another thing to create you just projected uh your regular tracker against a whiteboard so they got to do it with marker that's really cool
2: yeah they seem to really like i actually tried to get rid of it because so i was like okay this is great like but let's move to this one because it's like gonna be so much easier for me and i got major pushback so i was like okay the people plus focus i was like i'll just run these two and I just snap a picture on my phone at the end of each class where each student has moved themselves just to like double check with my official tracker so I can like look through their notebook or whatever it is that I had them like oh yep they're there which like I'll be honest almost 100% of the time they are right on no one's moving themselves just to move themselves
1: <laughs> yeah so. and that's 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 really interesting so another nitty gritty question if you will that I have is we have a lot of people asking Okay, so I have only done this virtually. Um what should the role of paper be in my physical classroom? Are people even gonna use paper? I mentioned earlier, you know, it's honestly it's something I'm thinking through myself. Um I'm you know, I'm gonna be coaching a majority of my time, but I, I really wanted to teach um, you know, a section or two um because I, I kinda wanna test kitchen. I wanna I wanna stay grounded. And I, I'm I'm struggling with this myself about you know, pre-pandemic, I was definitely a paper teacher. I'm curious, now that you you taught virtually, you taught hybrid, now you're teaching, you know, fully in person, what are you going to do? Uh, how much are you, how much are the kids going to do digitally? How much paper are you going to use?
2: Yeah, this is, um, this is a great question. I think, uh, I definitely had that shift when I went back to teaching also in person last year of like, oh no, like there's germs everywhere. How do we do this? On, do you sanitize paper? Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> like what exactly goes on? So I am making a majority shift back to paper. We've talked, this is my third time saying it. I love paper mastery checks. Yep. There's I that too. little like kind of like secluded area where they take their mastery checks. And um, basically just making like giving the students all the control, pick up the mastery check, turn it in. It doesn't have to go through me if it's a distance thing. Now, I will say I did have a few students last year um, and I'm expecting some this year who just aren't comfortable with that. So, you know, building the relationship so we can have that discussion and having online resources. If we have to do mastery check in Google Forms, let's do it. Like if that's, you know, I don't want to push any of those boundaries um, and also just kind of thinking about those for yourself as well. As you know, there's the Delta variant and everything's changing, you know, what are you comfortable with doing in the classroom?
1: Yeah. Yep. I think that that's really important. And I really love that idea of, about student choice here. And um, because I, I definitely agree that, you know, on that's the third time I'm saying it, I, I do really like paper. I particularly like paper for struggling readers. Um, I like that they can, fo- you know, take their pencil, follow along, you know, annotate as we go. I, I also just really like it. Um, you know, if, if listeners were, I did an episode with, Zach and with Moira Mazzi, another modern classroom mentor, science teacher, actually. And we were discussing how much we loved to do our paper mastery checks on different color paper for each lesson and how, oh my gosh, it just made it makes everything, you know, you can sort, you can identify them faster. It, it, it really does speed up the time we spend grading. To me, I, re- I really like that system also for for myself um, going in. And I know that lesson one are all the yellow mastery checks. So yeah, you know, I grab those. Lesson two are all the orange. Um, it, so I'm, yeah, I, I really like this idea of, of, of choice and depending on, uh, depending on, uh, the comfort of the student and you mentioned the mastery check table um, you know I think you know we we obviously have limitations this year with how we can set up our classroom uh, we do want our desks um, you know following guidance to be to be spaced apart uh, are you still how are you having students take mastery checks in the classroom
2: so yeah I'm dealing with the same spaced apart um, all of that essentially you know my school puts the tables in there and that that's it. <laughs> you know, they've, they've spaced out the distance, which which, you know, is, is a great thing for me. I don't have to go in there and like physically measure it out and be like, Oh my goodness, is this far enough? But I, I still have my mastery check station. Um, it's just kind of in this, you know, larger corner. I hate to say like corner of the room, but larger corner of the room. Um, I put up a disco ball, actually, a little mini disco ball. So if you oh, want to put on I headphones <laughs> and listen to a little song while you're there, that's cool. I'm trying to make it. I'm like, I don't even know, probably know what a disco ball is, but we'll find out. <laughs> um, we'll find out. Anyways, so just that spot to take their mastery check. Now, what I am going to have to work on, which I haven't quite encountered yet, is if I have five students who need to take said mastery check at the same time. So I, because they need to be, you know physically distant. So it might be like, bring it back to your desk situation. To be honest, I I, I'm unsure if you have ideas, tweet me.
1: Well, I, I, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability with that, because I think that we're all doing the same thing right now. We're like, well, in the old days, I would have done X. Now that I'm walking back into my classroom again, I suppose I have to think about an alternative. Um, and, and that's, it feels like the name of the game. And yeah, I, I, I really like this. I wonder almost, I know that you use a lot of boards. You I know you use, um, you've used the, like, the I'm ready for a check or I need help boards. Can you talk about that real quick? Um, I wonder if there's a way that you could incorporate, like, I'm ready for my mastery check or like the mastery check station's full. So they add their name and their next, like a queue. Oh, yeah. I don't know.
2: That's a really good idea.
1: Yeah. Can you talk about your boards? I think they're so cool.
2: Yeah. So for those who don't know, I have this, qu- qu- we call it a question policy in my rooms. Uh, it's, that's pretty simple. There's a red box, yellow box, green box. And then there's like a column that says need check. And it just has a line under it. So red box would be like, I have a question. I can't move on until you answer this question. They would a student if they have a question of that level, they put their name there. Yellow box would be like, I have a pretty important question, but I have these few tasks I could probably, you know, tackle until you get to me. Um, and then a green question would be like, I have a question, but I can do a whole bunch of other stuff. Get to me when you get to me. And then the check would be like, I just finished my mastery check. Can you come grade it? Or, you know, I need initials to move on to the next the next task. So my students physically physically get up and write their name on there. Side note: It's really fun to watch sixth graders try and decide what level of question they have. It's
1: always <laughs> red. It's always going to be red. It's just always red. <laughs> it's an opportunity to talk about you know. Yes, is it always a nice is, question? Is it? <laughs> it,
2: is, it is a very fun thing to talk about, and you know, it's fun to see some students grow to and be like, "I'm pretty sure this is a green," and I'll be like, "No, that was definitely a red." But we're still, we're still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're still getting there. So yeah, um, and so Kate, I like your idea of maybe having a section of that board of like mastery check station line or something l- like that. You know, because they can always move on to the next thing until they um, go and try and conquer the mastery check. As long as it's not getting like too far ahead of me. Like I'm like, oh, that mastery check was eight lessons ago. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's it's so interesting how we're yeah, we're just needing to needing to rethink and rework so much. I I just wanna, you know, acknowledge again, we have a lot of uncertainty with the Delta variant. Um, you know. <laughs> what's going to happen is, are we going to be going remote again? Um, Let's just talk about this. And I think you have such a unique perspective. What would your advice be to teachers if we need to shift completely virtual again?
2: Yeah. My advice is to trust yourself, right? Trust your base, trust those things that you know and, take the shifts as they come. Cause we just can't prepare for who knows, like who knows what, what could really happen. So my word of advice is just to trust yourself, right? We talked about how, you know, I commonly get the question like, Oh no, do I have to be in the zoom session with them for the 80 minutes? You know, do what you would usually do. I'm going to just say it again. Cause I'm being redundant, but just trust yourself, trust your base, reach out too. like, that was my biggest thing is like reaching out to other educators who have maybe had more experience in that area or you need help building even just breakout rooms, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. Did you, um, so it sounds like you definitely, you used a lot of breakout rooms and did you find yourself, so kind of, that was a, you know, a feature where you, you maybe shifted a bit and got, got to be comfortable with the breakout room feature. Did, how much could you use the base that you had created? Like um, your, your library of instructional videos or mastery checks. Um, When we, when we had to shift you know, what were you able to, to, to take with you and use virtually?
2: Oh my goodness. I was so thankful when we made the shift back in March of 2020. I hit, I mean, I'm very thankful for the modern classrooms project, but this is my time to be like the most thankful because I felt very ready. I, I know this isn't everyone's experience, but my shift was very smooth. I mean, I met with my kids, right? We got on. We were like, okay, this is our new class schedule. Let's practice it. We learned breakout rooms. That was one of our major things. And I will say too, just like adjusting to breakout rooms. Sometimes I would go into one and it would just be dead silent. So like learning to be comfortable talking over a mic. Cause it's a lot like it, you know, just to like turn on your, I'm at home. Like I, you know, there's just so many things going on. So that was a big, you know, learning curve and respecting people's boundaries in that sense. But my shift, I was able to use my... My plan essentially went as normal other than labs. I had to go and edit either my labs to be virtual or kind of just nix them completely. Um, but the instructional videos, they had access to that tracker on Canvas. They couldn't move themselves anymore, which was a whole conversation, but <laughs> we, we worked around it. So yeah, I was very thankful.
1: Yeah, I, I, really, I really love this. Like trust yourself, trust your base. And we have, we have so many teachers out there who myself included for teaching, you know, this, this section, this new thing that I'm doing, but um, yeah, where I'm, I'm building my base and it's, you know, it, and I, I think it's really comforting to hear that if this, if we would need to go remote again, um, that what we are creating now for in-person learning, we really can use this base. Uh, to yes, 100% yeah to to shift i love that um this year Uh, individual teachers, schools, and districts are emphasizing the need to recognize and educate the whole child. We're seeing this like we haven't. um, And I think it's a really, really great shift to ground our practice in. And we see this manifest in our August professional developments through recommendations to include social-emotional learning, to teach with trauma-informed practices or trainings in cultural competence or anti-biased, anti-racist education. Um, Demi, what practices are you planning to use to recognize and educate the whole child this year as we go back in person again?
2: Uh, yes. Um, so first, I want to start off by saying, like, I'm in no way an expert in this area, and actually, what I am planning on doing is continuing to practice. Now, that's practicing outside and inside my classroom. So. I am obviously continuing to do a lot of growth in this area. And something I actually wanted to bring up is recently I was a part of a Modern Classrooms book club ran by Tony Rose. Shout out to Tony Rose, (laughs) where we all read Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria by Dr. Tatum. And that was just so important for me. It really changed the shift from doing this work to practicing and implementing this work. So me, me being a white female educator, right? I was really nervous about having these conversations. And I was like, oh, I can't go into a classroom with my like students and be nervous about these conversations because I'm not gonna execute it well. So during this book club, which is just one thing I'm pinpointing to, I was able to have these conversations with my peers and I just, I like, can't even really describe how much I learned, but the increase in confidence it gave me to, to implement these conversations in my classroom, right? To have these very thoughtful interactions, these thoughtful um, conversations with my students, which I will definitely be doing.
1: Yeah, I, I can, I also agree. I, I read, I read excerpts of Dr. Tatum's book in grad school, and it was really, it was so special to go back and revisit that text after being a practicing teacher and to do it with other modern classroom educators. And yeah, you know, it's funny, it's funny that you mention that the modern classroom book club, uh, especially because I, you know, I I think Dr. Tatum came out with, uh, like I said, I I read that one in grad school and she came out, she updated it in 2017, I believe for the 20th anniversary. And it I thought her updates were fantastic. And listeners, if you, if you haven't, if you haven't read this book, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? It's, it's really a a classic education text that I I think every, every educator should read. Um, I also picked up a newer one um, that came out a few years ago. Um, over the summer, I was finishing uh, Zaretta Hammond's culturally responsive teaching in the brain, and that kind of you know made my wheels turning about what I can do what I can do differently in my classroom this time around. And I'm really going to as a personal a personal practice you know in, in regards to pedagogy that I'm really going to try to emphasize this year is activating students' prior knowledge. Um, I think that that is. You know, it's this. You can you can be my you can be my my accountability f- friend on this because I I really like the idea of starting a topic with acknowledging that our kids are not blank slates. They come to us with so yes. much rich life experience and knowledge, and that needs to be honored. And I need to do a better job this year of turning over voice to them um, not only to, to form questions, which I feel like I was, you know, I was, I've been teaching with inquiry and really trying to do that and getting kids to ask higher order thinking questions to guide our learning. But I really was neglecting this part about activating their prior knowledge and starting there. That's been one of those teaching practices that I have been, um, letting, letting marinate in my head this summer.
2: Yeah. I really like that. I feel, you know, just from being a part of that book club and reading the book, like there's so many just marinating my head, which I think is a good thing. I'm really excited to like start practicing them, implementing them, you know, relationship building on a whole new level. Um, Oh my goodness. There's just so many things I'm really excited about, but also just so lucky to, you know, have had the practice and the time to be really prepared. That's like my big, my big thing. If anyone is nervous or you just feel like, you know, how do I even begin to tackle it? Just practice it. Maybe practice it at home, practice it with your accountability buddy. I zoom someone. I I don't know, but that helped me so, so much.
1: Yeah. At this point about relationships and really being more intentional about those relationships. I think that I'm also going to try to keep this up, not just as a, like, let's build relationships, especially in these first few weeks of school. I want to know your favorite things. I want to know what, you know, what last year was like for you. Um, you know, uh, I, I want to do a better job of building more relationships, revisiting those relationships, making them deeper, and not just doing it with those students who I, who I really, really hit it off with you know, um, you know, the, the more outgoing students or the students who I just maybe have something in common with. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to be more intentional about continually revisiting relationships. And if, okay, if I, if it's November and I, I don't have a particularly, you know, good or bad relationship with the kid, it's just, you know, it's there. Um, I feel like I was very guilty in the past, maybe if, yeah, just keep going and we're in November and we got to really, you know, we got to double down on the learning, everybody. And um, that was that was so counterproductive as I look back. And that's that's another goal of mine is to really keep the emphasis on that all year.
2: I really like that. I was actually thinking about that the other day before we were going to do this podcast because um, I was like, oh, I really want to do that as well. Like reemphasize these relationships and build them throughout the whole year because you want to know what the pandemic taught me? It goes away in a second. All of a <laughs> sudden, I didn't have the opportunity really anymore, right? And so the kids who I had built these stronger relationships with because I had something in common or whatever was going on, they were online and in my class. And those ones that were kind of dwindling that I was, quote, unquote, working on, but so many things were happening, I was having a really difficult time reaching them.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm I think, you know, we we so often we say things like um, – you know, build, build relationships. And I think for some educators, they're, you know, they're some educators. I think that comes fairly naturally. And then I think other educators could use a bit more support on that. You know, I know that the free course, um, the modern classroom free course does have some ideas about, you know, like challenging yourself to meet with like four students every day until you get through the class and then kind of start over again. Um, you know, that's one, that's one suggestion they make. I, I, you know, it was interesting because I remember in grad school needing to write, when I was working on my master's in education, needing to write a paper. It was it was a very unique paper, just writing a paper, frankly, on a student who, you know, was, could have been, you know, could have been presented as a, as a quote, classroom management, um, you know, problem. I hate, I hate to say that, but that that's how it was presented to us. And I remember at the time being like, all right, so I'm going to, I'm going to write a paper about this, about this student, about what I see and about when I see it. And, um, just in my, in my observations of, of this student in the classroom. And it was really interesting when you take intentional time to really think about a kid, um, you know, a child is a human being, uh, a child with people who love them, a child with a very, you know, a unique and individual background. I really felt my heart softening to this, to this, child. um, You know, he was a seventh grader in um, who I knew through student teaching. And I've been thinking about that a bit more as I, as I reenter the classroom about, uh, you know, really focusing on kind of what I can do in my alone time to strengthen relationships. And I think that has to start with like the way I think about kids um, and even the kids who can be really challenging.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the, those challenging kids too. I you know sometimes come home and I'll be like, you'll never believe what so and so did in class today. But I really like your perspective of maybe taking a broader look at that intentionally, right? Because I tell myself I'll do that, but intentionally, as you said, like hey, this is a human. This is a human with people who love them.
1: Yeah. And why do we? Yeah. Like why do we think he's doing this behavior? Like what is? Yeah. What does he gain from it? What What's going on in the class at the time he does this? I. I. It was, it was. It was. It sounded so simple, but I was like, man can't believe this is working. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Right. It does. You're right. It sounds so simple. It's like, where, where was that in my brain? Yeah. Deep in there.
1: (laughs) You know, I know you and I are both very passionate about teacher wellness. Um, and, uh, I, I really love and respect that about you. And I think that, you know, we're both people who we emphasize that as teachers, we need to be at our best so we can serve kids and we need to be checking in on our colleagues um, and their social emotional needs as well. This, this makes us, this creates stronger schools. Um, I don't know if anyone else is feeling this, but August always reminds me that there's no anxiety, like back to school anxiety. Um, And this year is, is very unique. You know, many of us, um, you know, we feel a little rusty after teaching remotely last year, Um, you know, COVID has ushered in life changes for so many of us. I've talked to many teachers who are starting at a new school year this year. Um, How are you doing? And what would you tell teachers, you know, (laughs) like me, cough, cough, um, (laughs) who are facing change, entering a new job, uncertainty, and, you know, who who are a little nervous about this school year?
2: Yes, I always get the August anxiety. Mine is also accompanied by procrastination. That's, those, are my, those are my two. But so I feel you. I feel you all in the August anxiety. Like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. And especially this year, if you haven't been in person and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness, we're going completely back in person. I learned all of these new tech skills online. And now, like, what happened to those in-person skills? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Trust yourself. Trust your base. I think, too, is I could create a list of myself of, like, 50 plus things that I'm going to be kind of rusty at. Let's just get rid of that list and take them as they come. Let's say you go into your first day. Oh my goodness, I was so rusty on, I don't know, the warm up. All right, well, let's just fix that as they pop up rather than a fault of mine is I will look at a list and be like, okay, let me practice all these things before the first day tomorrow so I'm not as rusty. And there's going to be some I don't even know about. So so that, take them as they come. Those are challenges for future Demi and Kate and all the other teachers out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I I think that that's I I also I think modern classroom educators need to hear that. You know, one of the challenges especially the first time that you're teaching with the modern classroom instructional model is it you know, first of all, I would argue that you cannot plan a mastery-based self-paced unit unless you're planning backwards, which inher- that that takes a lot of work. And we don't just plan backwards. We are often, we have the materials prepared, you know, in advance. There's not really a like, oh, lesson to lesson. It's like, no, we know that one kid's going to be on lesson four while one kid is on lesson two. Um, so we have a lot of materials that we we front load in our, in our prep and creation. Um, so I think that, you know, and I think people who reimagine their classrooms and do this, you know, voluntarily. We're, we're ambitious educators and we really love this. And I think that, you know, thank you for that reminder of grace and kind of taking things as they come. And I think if there's ever a time to just say like, you know what? Okay. So the first four lessons are done and the last three are not. And that's yes. okay, right now, <laughs> you know. Like
2: time to rest. Yeah, Just time to rest. <laughs> They'll
1: they'll get there. Like um, we can remind ourselves of that because I know that there are teachers whether they're going through the virtual summer institute right now or they've been um, they took the free course. They've learned more about it on Facebook. Uh, this idea that you know having all of this ready in advance can be really intimidating. So I think that you know do what you can. And and just have have grace. Have grace.
2: Yes. Yeah. Trust those teacher instincts that we, you know, all pretty much have. Like, oh yep, those aren't ready. That's okay today, so come together. Okay. Yep. Hey, we're
1: working on this. Yep. <laughs> and and <laughs> I love putting those in it. Frankly, I think they're really good for kids and they need them anyway. And, you know, I, I could, I could make an argument about how self pacing, you know, this is a lot of work at the, it, it's developmentally, it's, yes. it's hard for kids, especially at the beginning of the school year, if this is new and we're changing the way they've done school. So it's actually, it's really good for us to have those days where we say like, Hey guys, we're coming together after the first three lessons. And that's a, you know, that's kind of like a, a soft deadline, really. It's like some, some manageable urgency. So, there you go, teachers. Two birds, one stone.
2: <laughs> come, come together days. That's when I got when I have labs with a lot of materials. You can bet we're having a come together day because I can't reset up like eighteen hundred materials like five times. <laughs> do a
1: do a Paideia seminar. Dive into a text. Do like you know concentric circles or a jigsaw or review day. Yeah, they'll they'll love it, and it's good for everybody. Um, you know, my last question. I, I feel like you and I could continue this conversation for a long time, so I can't believe we're at the last question already. Um, It's about framing, I guess. Um, We're very used to hearing about how difficult last year was, and it was. Uh, There is no question that it presented challenges and frustrations for students academically and social-emotionally and for families and for us, the educators, personally and professionally. Um, We don't often sit back And think about what was revealed to us last school year. What did it teach our kids? What did it teach us? Um, I'm curious about what it gave you as a teacher and kind of big and small, you know, um, I guess kind of philosophically and nitty gritty teaching practices, um, and I was just like, man, that's that's why this profession is so beauty, is so beautiful, right? Like, you know, like it, we we want the research, we want the theory, we want like you know a guiding philosophy, and yet, oh my goodness, just give us a strategy, put it in our hands, and let us use it tomorrow. You know, like give me a graphic organizer. Um, I,
2: I want it all. Yeah, we
1: really do. So I'm curious, you know, big and small, what do you think it gave you as a teacher, and how will it change your teaching practice uh, moving forward? Being a teacher who taught in the 2020-2021 school year?
2: First, I really like all of these questions. There's so many I feel like I haven't ever like reflected on. So this was really cool for me to you know think about and reflect on personally myself. For me, what it just gave me was, which I think I hope we continue to build on, is a lot of schools built so many strong support systems outside of school. All of a sudden, schools were having like Tech Thursdays and learn how to use your computer fret, like these things that we never, you know, had before or, um, you know, schools have so many support systems. But just, you know, a few I had never seen before were those like, oh, all educators can go to this, like, learn how to make an instructional video. Wednesday, I don't know. They all had catchy names. I don't remember them, <laughs> but those were so cool. And I was like, man, I hope we continue to build on that, not only for teachers but for families, because yes. that was another thing—the pandemic, right? A lot all of a sudden landed on a family mm-hmm. who was moved into a remote learning environment who maybe needed Tech Thursdays. Yeah, you know, a year a year ago would have been, <laughs> or you know, so all of these things were just brought to light. And I hope so so bad that we can continue to build on those. I think to it, you know, it reinforced the idea of meet students where they are. Oh, my goodness, we have to meet them where they are. Because not only just academically, but in life, in what's going on in their life, the pandemic just brought so much more attention to that. Um, and to just, I never want to waver from, you know, emphasizing emotional wellness and development as much as their academic achievement.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, you've given me so much to think about. Thank you for that.
2: I mean, you, you, you gave me a lot of those questions, the <laughs> one where it's like, what did, what did this pandemic teach our students? I was like, I have never asked a student that question before. I was like, oh my goodness, like what? Because, you know, the focus everywhere is like learning loss.
1: Yeah. What, yeah.
2: all of those things. And so I was like, hopefully, you know, like that asking for support is like a strength. That's like one thing, maybe some flexibility, but I need to ask my students.
1: Yeah. I... I can't wait, uh, teachers. It's it's almost here, and these it's almost time these wonders next week for me. Yeah, <laughs> for me, uh, uh, me August twentieth, kids August thirtieth. But we will <sighs> we will soon, you know, get to the best part of teaching. Um, those, you know, all of those uh, those kids who are going to walk into our rooms, those vibrant individuals who are going to make us laugh and challenge us and make us think in new ways they're they're coming um friend thank you so much for joining me
2: thank you so much kate it's so much fun to talk to you about all this
1: yeah thank you listeners thank you for joining us for 50 episodes um yes
0: and we'll be back next week
1: thanks everyone bye
0: thank you so much for listening Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.